Salofalava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. Take me out from this country, please. Held in Nauru and then Australia, a refugee pleads with New Zealand to set him free. Also, judges bail actions is the US's message to the Pacific as it ramps up its regional presence. And later on... For us to be able to see one of our own playing, it's unbelievable. The Super Rugby Pacific dream is over for the Fijian draw, but their faithful supporter says they'll be back. New Zealand government saved me from the cruel and inhumane clutches of Australian politicians. That is the message Iranian refugee Hamid told RNZ, who was held on Nauru for almost a decade. Hamid is one of hundreds of refugees who had sought asylum in Australia, but was detained offshore. He was brought to Australia in February 2023 for medical treatment and then kept in a hotel room in Brisbane. Australian protesters gathered outside the Brisbane Detention Centre calling for the freedom of Hamid. He told Lydia Lewis after almost nine years held offshore in Nauru, he feels like the government of Australia is slowly killing him. I'm still sad, I'm still upset and I'm still angry with the with the Australian government. Okay. Because... Because, Lydia, listen, I, I put a request and asked them why, for what reason you moved me to Baita camp and, and you don't release me after four months. And just the ABF, what, what, do you know what, what the ABF said to me? What? The, the ABF said to me, uh, they, they mentioned to the law named is S-198 Migrant Act. So this law is about the people who don't, they are not citizens. So, and they came to Australia illegally, you know. But I didn't come to Australia illegally. Actually, I told told them, I'm writing another request to answer them. I didn't come to Australia illegally. That was the Australian government decided to bring me to Australia for treatment temporarily. Mm. But I didn't come to Australia by my own. That was the Australian government immigration decided to bring me here. So I'm not here illegally. And, uh, and they said to me, when I was in Nauru, they told me uh, I will come to... Australia for treatment, and when the treatment over, and then they will return me to Nauru. I'm asking them, okay, my treatment is finished. Please send me back to Nauru. But they don't send me back to Nauru. They can't. I'm sure they cannot. But they keep me in detention. You know, in this detention, Lydia, I want to tell you, this detention, actually, all of the people are in this detention, they committed a different crime or corruption or something fighting, you know, something drugstore, something. You know what I mean? Yeah. All of the people, all of the people are here. They know for what reason they are here. They are actually a criminal. I have never, I have never committed any crime or corruption or mistake, not only in Nauru or and Australia, very, very in the world. I How have does never it feel contacted. to be treated as a criminal? I'm so sad about it because I'm not a criminal person, you know what I mean? I'm not a criminal person. 
What is your dream right now? I just yeah yeah I just want to get out of here and fly to New Zealand as soon as possible because I know just the New Zealand people, the New Zealand government can be my uh, dream. I I go there and I get my uh, peaceful life. But I don't know. They actually are all oh, the other thing. I want to tell you the other thing. They all actually they caused delayed my process for New Zealand as well. Two times they couldn't create a video call for me on Bytocam. Two times, but New Zealand immigration, you know, the New Zealand immigration uh, gave me appointment two times, but they couldn't make uh, create the uh, interview call. You know, the video call, they couldn't create that one. And they actually called, called, called my process. Did Australia delay the process or New Zealand? Australia, not New Zealand. They, uh, Lydia, you know, at that, uh, finally I did my interview with New Zealand immigration. Uh, the time exactly was, I think, last two months. And I want to tell you, I really enjoyed when I had interview with the first, with the people from New Zealand. I really enjoyed. I was not in the mood to go to the interview at that time, that day, you know. Promise, I was not really in the mood to go. But when I went to interview, when I saw them and I did my interview with them, I I I, I got bit much better. I, I yeah, I, I I was better when I did interview with them because they were so kind. You know, they were so kind people, and they make me good feel. When I came back to hotel, I was really happy for my interview with them. I never had a good interview like that, you know? I want to tell, I'm really happy with the, with the New Zealand people, with the New Zealand immigration, with the New Zealand government, and I love you all. Yeah, and just Australia delayed everything about me for 10 years. For 10 years, like this is, please, for 10 years, I'm seeing from Australia discrimination, injustice, and unfair everything. For 10 years, I'm seeing everything. Injustice for me and my family. It's just for me. I don't know why, and I cannot why, for what reason. Yeah. Okay. So... I will so write. I'm asking, yeah, thank you so much. I'm asking about the New Zealand immigration from New Zealand immigration. Please uh, do my process as soon as possible and take me out from this country. Please <laughs> get me out from this country. I'm so tired with the Australian government. Just the government, you know, not the people. I'm just talking about the politician mm. because they are actually cruel and they are actually uh, killing me by mental approaches. Mommy, I think sometimes when I'm thinking about it, they are killing me by, by, with, with the mental approaches. 
with, this their, is their, their, with their mental what? Their mental approach? Yeah, with, with mental tortures, they, torture, you know, yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. release me. With, with mental tortures, they bring me here for treatment. Okay, thank you so much. And then they don't release me. And they didn't do anything for my treatment, you know? Nothing. They, so it's, it's, it's cruel, it's torture, you know? This is exactly mental torture. So they want, they brought me here to Australia and they don't release me and they released everyone in front of my eyes. Mm. So what is this? After 10 years, yeah. after their 10 years, they are putting, they put me in detention center with, with a lot of criminal people. What is this? What it, what it means? It's, 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 it's torture. It's exactly, it's mental torture. The department said Canberra is focused on supporting the Nauru government to resolve the regional processing caseload. RNZ has requested further answers from the Government of Australia regarding Hamid's situation. Immigration New Zealand has previously told RNZ it's working as fast as it can to get refugees to New Zealand under the Oz New Zealand deal, which aims to settle up to 150 refugees from Nauru or those who were moved from Manus Island or Nauru to Australia each year for three years. A United States government official says Washington needs to be judged by its actions as it recommits to greater involvement in the Pacific. Assistant Secretary of State in the Bureau of Global Public Affairs, Bill Russo, is one of a number of State Department officials visiting Pacific nations on a familiarization tour. Mr. Russo spoke with Don Wiseman. How is the U.S. going to convince the Pacific that it's now a good friend after pretty much abandoning the region 25 or so years ago? Well, look, uh, you know, of course, uh, my, my job is in, is in communications, and so uh, I, I'm an expert in the messaging uh, to, 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 to reassurance. Uh, but, of course, uh, we know that we're going to be judged by our actions. And so, you know, I think what, what hopefully the region has seen, what the Pacific has seen just in the past weeks, months, are actions uh, that, that reassure that, whether it's, you know, uh, seeking $7.2 billion for Congress for the region, particularly for the Compacts Free Association, whether it's the two embassies that we've already opened or the two new embassies that we're still looking to open uh, in, the, in the very near term, whether it's been climate investment, including through the uh, resilience facility. I hope what the region sees now and what the region will continue to see in a sustained effort over years to come will be uh, our actions that, that demonstrate that we are here. It's all about China, isn't it? No. I mean, look, the, the United States policy in the region is not about any one country, not about any third, uh, third country. It, it's about our partnership here. It's about the shared history that we have and the shared history that we're looking to build into the future. My colleague, Dan Crittenbrink, our assistant secretary who covers the region here, gave, uh, gave a speech in Auckland yesterday that I think really laid this out quite clearly. That is, you know, the United States does not seek a new Cold War. We aren't seeking to contain uh, the People's Republic of China. And, you know, being out in the region myself, being in, in, in Hawaii and then Fiji before being here in New Zealand, you know, one of the messages uh, that, that we delivered is that, you know, there there is a place for the People's Republic of China in terms of uh, economic development in, in the region. We just want to ensure that it subscribes to the highest possible standards of transparency, rule of law, uh, all of that. But this is not about the, the U.S. versus China. This is about our, our, our serious and sustained presence in the region with our neighbors uh, and friends. Because again, you know, the U.S. is a Pacific nation. That is just a fact of geography uh, and a fact of culture. And, and we want to ensure that, it, again, the substance of our engagement uh, demonstrates that. Yet the motivation for this has been 
the involvement that China has had with countries such as Solomon Islands, to a lesser extent Fiji and Papua New Guinea. Washington suddenly uh, realizes that it's also part of the Pacific again. When I talk about, you know, that, that shared history going back eight decades to World War II, you know, that, that still holds a huge amount of, of personal cachet with the American people. Um, you know, I was, I was in Hawaii on the way out. That history that can seem distant is still very real to many Americans. And so the focus there is, is, is knowing that we need to make real investment now, that we can't just let, rest on our laurels on that shared history if we're going to continue for the next eight decades out. We have an interest here that is unrelated to any third countries because we have a presence here, whether it's Hawaii, whether it's Guam, whether it's American Samoa. You know, the United States is, is, is present in the region. And so the, the issues that face the region, whether it's economic development, whether it's climate change, huge issue that we're focused on, you know, we have a shared interest in addressing those issues as partners. The Pacific, with one voice, is saying that there is only one really major issue for them, and that is climate change. The U.S. is one of the countries that is seen to be dragging the chain on this. How are you going to overcome that? How are you going to help the Pacific overcome the issues associated with climate change? I mean, look, this is this is an existential crisis. This is not just an existential crisis for Pacific Island countries. It's one for the United States as well. While I'm here with you today and while we're talking about climate in the Pacific, uh, much of America right now is focused on choking wildfire smoke that is covering the entire east coast of our country that is driven by climate-driven wildfires in, in, in Canada. There is an everyday focus on the impact this is having all across America. And I think what you have seen from this administration then is a reaction in kind, a global reaction to, to dealing with this crisis. One of the things that Secretary Blinken says that uh, I think is particularly astute here is that even if the United States overnight went to zero emissions ourselves, we represent about 15% of the world's emissions. That means 85% of the problem is still out there. And we see a unique place for the United States to lead by our example, right? So whether, you know, Secretary Blinken announced that the P Pacific Resilience Facility uh, that we're working with the Pacific Island Forum, we are going to be one of the founding partners to help really um, catalyze investment in the region. If we've announced USAID and others upping their presence in the region, and a lot of that is going to be focused on climate resilience. So we're making investment here, but the other piece of this is really important, and this is what our diplomacy seeks to do, is to rally all of our other partners to also address not just uh, resilience, but also the direct mitigation that we need. The U.S. and PNG have signed the mm -hmm. security pact. It hasn't been fully endorsed by their parliament or anything like that at this point in time. There's a lot of debate over whether PNG sovereignty is threatened by this. How do you overcome that? Will, for instance, if U.S. soldiers end up in PNG, will they be subject to PNG law? First and foremost, you know, the defense cooperation agreement uh, that we're moving forward with with, with PNG is, is a modernization of existing um, cooperation to bring peace and stability here and in the region. So it is it is a modernization and a carrying forward of, of defense cooperation that has existed be, between our countries in the past. And obviously, all of these consultations are done with the sovereignty of our partner countries uh, first and foremost in mind. I would also say that, you know, I think an additional element, uh, a separate agreement that we signed is also really instructive of what this will look like in terms of the shipwriter agreement that the United States is pursuing with PNG that will enable PNG to enforce its own sovereignty, to use U.S. vessels to help patrol their own waters, enforce their own laws, and secure their own sovereignty. So I actually think in many ways what we are seeking to do is enhance the sovereignty of, of, of Papua New Guinea. I think there is going to be for a long time 
some degree of ambivalence in the Pacific about just what it is the Americans are up to. We have had this example going back 30 or 40 years with the Soviet Union or Mother Russia creating a border shield with nations. And to a certain extent, that's how it can appear here. Is that what the U.S. is doing, creating a border shield of small Pacific countries to uh, shield it from China? No, you know, we're not pursuing a new Cold War. We don't want to go back to any, you know, Soviet Cold War uh, paradigms here in the region. Uh, and look, part of the reason I am here is to listen and to learn. This is my, my first trip uh, abroad. I've only been in, the, been in my job for, for three months now, and I wanted to come here first and foremost to have an uh, opportunity to, to listen and to understand better what our partners want to hear and, and want to see from us. And what we hear and w- uh, what we have heard throughout is that partners want peace and stability in the region. They want United States investment. They want the United States leading on climate change. They want the United States to continue to be engaged in this region as a partner, as a thoughtful partner. And so that is what we are looking to do first and foremost. But we have places like Guam where there are going to be more troops sent and other upgrades happening there. But there are fears within Guam that they become a target. You can talk about you're not trying to create another Cold War, but effectively that is what's happening. We've got Australia building or planning to build nuclear-powered submarines. This, to us, points to an escalation of tension, uh, of Cold War-type tension. On, on the submarines, of course, first I would, I, would, I would just point out there's obviously a very, very strong difference between nuclear-powered submarines and nuclear-equipped submarines. These are nuclear-powered submarines, and so it's all about propulsion and, and, and range and not about, you know, we aren't seeking to, to, to further nuclearize the region. But, you know, the, the other thing I would say, I'm particularly, I started my trip in the region with a day I spent at Indo-PACOM uh, in Hawaii with my colleagues uh, in the military, and Guam was almost first and foremost on the agenda for the entire time I was there, but not because of because of U.S. basing or because of U.S. militarization, but because of disaster response. With the cyclone that's recently run through, the focus that we are putting on how we can bring our presence in the region to bear to help Guam recover and to help others in the region recover from from humanitarian disasters. And so I think I think that in many ways speaks to the kind of partnership that we that we seek to bring into the region and that the benefits of, of the United States again having a presence uh, in the region and being mindful of uh, of what you you know said earlier on about the a sense that the United States has not been present. Well, we are. We are we are seeking to be present now and into the future and we believe that brings tremendous benefits to the region. It's the end of the 2023 Super Rugby Pacific season for the Fijian Drua, who sailed through rough season Christchurch as they were outdone 49 to 8 by the Crusaders in the quarterfinals on Saturday night. Despite the result and Drua fans who traveled far and wide were ecstatic to be at the game. Callum Fotheringham was at the match. If it wasn't 8 degrees, you would have thought the game was being played in Suva. Visiting Fijian supporters were naturally outnumbered, but when it came to cheering, one Drua fan seemed to account for three of Crusaders. Most obvious was when Drua's only try of the match was scored by Celestino Rabu Tumanda after intercepting a pass from Will Jordan. Veronica Nawanga, who flew from Fiji to watch the game, says she loved it, despite the loss. Whatever the outcome, it's always worth it. We're behind the boys. Whether they win or lose, we're behind them. Right from the first whistle, the visitors started badly when their kickoff failed to make the 10-metre mark. About a minute later, the first try of the match was scored by Crusaders' tight-head prop, 
Oliver Jaeger, followed by a successful conversion by Richie Mwanga. The points continued to flow and in under 15 minutes the score was 21-0 thanks to two tries by Cody Taylor. Post-match, the hooker acknowledged the edge the early points gave his team. It allowed us to build some momentum and, and uh, keep the pressure on. Uh, you, know, you know what the Drua can do when they get their heads up. A sentiment shared by Crusaders coach Scott Robertson. The start created the opportunities for us to put it away early. You know, if they got, a, got up and got excited and got those offloads going and quick tips game that they, they can do, uh, it could have been a long night. The 11-time Super Rugby champions continued their rampage into the second half. But it didn't matter to Drua fans who were left with nothing but pride for their team. Jope Tudreo says in Fiji he grew up tracking down the closest home playing Super Rugby. Now he can't believe his country has their own team. For us to be able to see one of our own playing, it's unbelievable. So, you, know, you can't, the scale of imagining that you'd have one team in the Super Rugby, you can't just imagine that because you've been seeing you know, New Zealand and Australia and South Africa play, but you know, Fiji... Who would have believed that that would have ever happened? Long-time Crusaders fan Wesley Salele from Fiji has been living in Christchurch for nearly 20 years and switched his alliance before the game. I've always been a staunch supporter of the Crusaders ever, ever since I've come to live in Christchurch. I love Christchurch and everything, but today I've uh, switched sides just for this game. I like to uh, go for the underdogs, see how they go. The supporters cannot wait for next year. It's a first quarter final for the draw. Heads off to them, but you know, probably they'll come back next year and prove the uh, Crusaders <laughs> um, wrong. I think the Crusaders will now take on the Blues in a semi-final home game matchup on Friday. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. You can also download us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts from. So from myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, so far so far.